Everything's Messy podcast brought to you by Dreamweaver Media. So incredible company. I'm so excited that I've had the chance to work with this company. Let me tell you, if you are looking to level up your podcast, level up your business, anything that you need to get very clear and laser focused with your goals for your company, you need to reach out to Dreamweaver Media. They have a strategy session report that they will do for you. And what that will do is you will discover your dream audience persona, define your business's why, craft a brand identity that speaks directly to your target audience, identify your marketing goals and create a custom plan and receive a detailed visual shoot plan that brings everything to life. Let me tell you, this company is amazing. So reach out to dreamweavermedia.co, that's dreamweavermedia.co, check out their website for more information. Hey there, it's Sarah Wilson, and welcome to Everything's Messy podcast. Yep, you heard it right. Everything is messy because, well, it is. But here's the thing. In the mess, there's strength waiting to be found, and that's what we're all about here. My mission? To break the silence around chronic illness and build a community that's supportive, understanding, and downright empowering. So if you're ready to navigate the chaos, buck the conventional medical system, and embrace authentic healing, you're in the right place. We're going to tackle the big questions like how to balance it all, where the family fits into the messy equation and everything in between. This is your messy space, a place where we're not afraid to get real, have those important conversations, and maybe even share a few laughs along the way. I'll be sitting down with incredible people, each with their unique messes to explore their stories, experiences, and the lessons they've learned in the chaos. From unconventional healing methods to finding strength you never knew you had, we're covering it all. So grab a seat, get comfy, and let's dive into the messy. Because here at the Everything's Messy podcast, we're turning chaos into strength. Together, we're going to embrace the mess. Are you ready? Let's get messy. Well, hey, messy people. Welcome to the Everything's Messy podcast. Today, I have uh, back Haywood White, our hopefully to become resident expert health coach. Um, I'm super excited that he's back. If you uh, have not listened to his first episode where he talks about himself and the things that he's familiar with, go back to episode number seven. He's got all of that uh, packed in for you. It's a really great episode. He talks about the his messy story and the things that he's gone through. And I've got him back today. Uh, first of all, hi, Haywood. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. Uh, how was your Thanksgiving? How was baby's first Thanksgiving? It was great. Uh, he spent it with a lot of family. You know, we uh, all ate probably a little bit more than we could have. <laughs> yeah. So is Let's, he? does he get passed around? Does he like that? Or is he more like hands-off, going to get cranky? We've been really blessed. He he likes pretty much everybody. And everything. Oh, it's really rare for him to start getting cranky, honestly. Oh, and that's others, it's pretty obvious what he wants. And it's easy to like, give him a toy or feed him or put him down for a nap and He's back to normal really quickly. That's so, so getting cool. experience just yeah, a lot of family. That's getting family. uh getting ready for baby's first Christmas then. Yeah. Right? That's coming. And exciting. Yeah. Um so. Yeah, we were all texting back and forth about it today today, actually finally putting the plans together. It's weird that it's already December. Like I, you know, I say that and my husband always is like, Oh my gosh, it comes every year. Why are you saying that? But it does feel like it either comes faster and faster or how did we get here already? Like it does feel that. I feel like between Halloween and Thanksgiving and then all the rest of the holidays, once the ball starts rolling, it all it just doesn't stop. Flash and next thing <laughs> three months have gone by. Absolutely. 
All right. Well, um, what what have you got for us today? What uh, what are we talking about? I've got a few people that have emailed me about uh, migraine stuff. So maybe what that's our jumping off point or however yeah. you want to take it. No, if you have any questions that people have or I can just dive into some stuff. Um, I was thinking we could just have kind of a conversation. Um, Absolutely. Something I didn't get into a whole lot last time. Um, I do want to kind of qualify some core beliefs of okay. my program, kind of where I'm coming from, because I think that'll help. Yeah. So, all right. I operate from two main belief systems. So, first being what I call bio-individuality, the second being what I call multidimensional health. Okay. So, Break both... that down for us. So, by... where do you want me to write it down? <laughs> no, like, no, break it down. Break it down. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh, right. No, no, no. Break it down as far as, um, my wife. yeah, give me some context with the first and the second. So both are a little self-explanatory, but just to dive into it, um, bio-individuality is the idea that we all have different genetic factors, metabolic rates, responses to different foods and lifestyle factors, et cetera, et cetera. And so the idea is to present this information in a way that's non-dogmatic for, for, I guess, for a lack of a better word. Um, so as we dive into these topics, I want our listeners to be exploring them in a way that's more experimental as opposed okay. to learning what the quote-unquote last word is. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. It for every person. Okay. So we're going to be playing with some different ideas, uh, it's sharing our own experiences. You've mentioned you've had some migraine triggers. I think that'll be exciting to dive into a little bit. Um, and ultimately trying to expand the conversation so that people have a lot more information at their disposal okay. to draw what their bio-individual plan for migraines or their response might be. I love that. I love that. Doctor right. telling this blood vessel restriction or whatnot. Sure. So the second thing is multidimensional health. And um, migraines are actually a really good example for explaining this. Um, so the idea of multidimensional health is the idea that health problems might not have one single cause. And while you might, typically when we say things like this, we're talking about tracing things back to the root cause. Okay. I use it kind of in the context that things could have multiple root causes. So 100%. Migraine, yeah. And again, all this is super self-explanatory. I just, I think it's helpful to ground these conversations into these topics. Okay. So that we are introducing these things. It's kind of in the context of these, these core ideas. And so this multidimensional idea in the context of migraines is like um, two of the macro methods in my approach and in, in my health coaching practice are obviously nutrition mm-hmm. and then posture therapy. So um, what kind of therapy? Posture, posture therapy. Okay, okay. I've got. Uh, I wrote down a big word right here. So the 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 largest cranial nerve in the brain is called the tri the trigeminal nerve. I might be mispronouncing that. Okay. Uh, basically, this is the nerve that's most closely associated with migraines. The idea is blood vessels restrict, squeeze this nerve, cause some sort of hyperstimulation and a spasmic effect. Okay. Like, it's like the typical mainstream medical consensus. And I'm putting that really, really simply. Sure, <laughs> sure. We're going to refer to it as the messy nerve. <laughs> yeah, that's the messy nerve, the, the trigeminal nerve. And so the idea is tracing back to the root, and it, it's not always to do with this nerve. Sure. Typically, this is the most associated nerve. So <laughs> tracing the root, the idea would be 
what is causing strain on this nerve? Like what's causing it? What is the root cause of this nerve? Why is it angry? Exactly. And so the multi-dimensional approach would be, or, or let me try the other approach first. So a kind of a single dimensional approach would be to say, um, if I were to only approach it from a nutritional way or approach it from a posture way. So for nutrition, uh, tends to be this nerve and it's, Overstimulation tends to be associated with a deficiency in magnesium, riboflavin, and a variety of other vitamins. Um, but on the flip side, posture-wise, many of us, actually the large majority of us in America especially, are dealing with a cervical misalignment. We all have neck pain, you know? Okay, yeah. Craning over our phones and our computers all the time to cause us what's called cervical flexion. And without getting too technical on that, it's basically just a misalignment of the, the vertebrae at the top of the spine that are the neck. Okay. And so the idea is when that misalignment happens, all of your nerves, your entire central nervous system converges right here at the top of your spine and goes okay. like, so when that is misaligned, you're literally squeezing and adding tension and pressure on every single one of those nerves all the time. Okay. That's actually a part of what chiropractic is. Is uh, people think it's just about bones? It is, but the idea is you realign the bones to relieve pressure on the nerves, which can relieve a whole lot of symptoms if you're sure. chiropractor. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is like um, the multidimensional approach would be utilizing the nutritional and the postural approach as opposed to just. Uh, looking at it from one and again i'm, I'm both are kind of self-explanatory I, i'm kind of over explaining these more simple ideas that all of us do kind of operate with anyways but i do just feel like it's helpful to ground these conversations oh absolutely absolutely so talk so you touched very briefly on the deficiencies right and i know i take a uh, uh several supplements one of them being magnesium um and sometimes you know, I'll have a month that's less occurring of migraines. Others, I don't. I used to chalk it up to my female cycle and things like that. You know, you have the big estrogen dump after your cycle and then all of these things. But um, I've started to notice um, that in my, you know, diet specifically, if, you know, I have maybe a cheat day or something that I shouldn't be having, I see sense it immediately oh my gosh, there's a migraine coming on. So talk a little bit about that. I know that was kind of a two-part question, but talk a little bit about that. So can you just simplify the question for me really quick? Sure. So I was just saying, um, you were talking about the vitamin deficiencies. You mentioned magnesium. Let's start there. What other deficiencies, um, you said riboflavin, is it is it as easy as just taking a multivitamin? Because like I said with me, I do supplement with magnesium, but sometimes um, it, it works and sometimes it doesn't. So start there. Yeah, so um, this honestly leads me into, could lead me into a much deeper conversation about supplementing and nutrition, which is one of my expertises and honestly might be very useful. So um, let's look at it from this multidimensional perspective. Uh, multidimensionality, I like to say, is transitory. And to put that in really simple terms is you can have different problems over a span of time. And so like for your example, not that I know what's happening, but just for the sake of pretending to guess, um, you could have, let's say, the middle of the summer, you're you're walking around and sweating more frequently than you're aware of, and you're excreting an excess of magnesium relative to what you're used to, and so you are relatively deficient. 
based on what right. the body. So you may know his. And again, this is just like some sure. random. Sure, sure, sure. Make a point, but um, you may notice during that time of the year that you take you take magnesium and it helps your migraines. Well, then the winter may come around and you're walking around, you're cold and you're extra tense in your body, and you have this cervical misalignment that becomes more pronounced than usual, and then the pendulum kind of shifts. So the migraines aren't so much caused by the nutritional stuff. But now are being caused by the postural stuff, so the taking extra magnesium might not actually help for that problem. Oh, so, okay. Not that that's what's happening, but this- Sure, that's an example. Uh, uh, an example of multidimensionality is, um, and this is something that I really like to, a point that I really like to make with people when I'm talking this way is that this is where learning your body and learning how your body responds to these things kind of is your responsibility. Absolutely. And like- um, it's no one really can give you like the magic key. Right. Like, you have. Yeah. And I, I've said that many times on this podcast that we have to be our own self-advocate for our health and really get in tune as much as we can. And sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we get it wrong. But we have to keep trying and keep going back to, you know, the first step of what did work and then work from there. At least that's how I try to do it. So. And, and just to the nutritional stuff, too, I do want to dive into that a little bit because nutrition is a really really broad topic sure not only broad but it is there's a lot of depth to it sure like, there are trillions of reactions in your body that take place every second <laughs> and nutrients largely catalyze every single one of those yeah so, so to even plot out map out and understand these processes are probably going to take us another thousand generations I mean, not not actually, but like sure, I'm sure. It's, it's, it's hard to understand completely, but there are some fundamental things that are true for most people, right? So, um, for the average person, they are going to be nutritionally deficient probably across the board: magnesium, calcium, B vitamins, yeah, fatty acids, minerals, especially. Um, it not because they're lazy or stupid. No, it's just, it's hard, yeah. Unless you're going out and seeking that and figuring out what that actually, like I uh, did a huge rabbit hole on just trace minerals alone and oh, talk about yeah. being overwhelmed and making it complicated. <laughs> oh yeah. That's, um, that's what I yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that, I was just going to say that that's a whole other just dimension that you just have to be ready to go down. And it was very overwhelming and certainly not in my expertise, but it's something that I'm trying to educate myself about because I do, th you know, what I have been able to process about it is, is extremely important. Honestly, trace minerals are kind of like the um, the central point of nutritional deficiencies because, you know, Mainstream nutrition, the FDA doesn't recognize trace minerals as essential. Right. And it's bizarre. It is. Um, yeah, it's bizarre. It really like, is. It's, it's like um, not only is there a overwhelming amount of information about trace minerals alone, but there's no real authority to teach it to. And, and not that we should be like, you know, outsourcing our criti critical thinking to authority and that sort of thing, but... There's no, there's not like millions of dollars being sure. invested in kind of about everything else. And so how would we even have the resources? Yeah, we wouldn't. But this is a pretty serious thing too, because trace minerals, um, 
you know, one of my nutritional mentors, um, his name's Ryan Alexander, and he was mentored by someone named Dr. Joel Wallach, who's considered kind of one of the pioneers of nutrition. Okay. And uh, a few of his central points are around trace minerals, around how ancestrally we got them, and for kind of the reasons why we're missing them largely in, in our diets today. So, like, the reasonings would be a variety of things. So, um, as far as the food goes, when we... So, we used to get our food, minerals in our food from, like, dams and glacial flow, basically. Like, very, like, a variety of, like, um, humic shale or fossilized minerals just in the water supply and would naturally irrigate soils in certain areas. And so, like... The Fertile Crescent, most of the places where civilization emerged, you'll find have an excess of natural trace minerals in their waters. Okay. Well, about 80 years ago, we started damming up all the rivers. <laughs> and we started really disrupting that natural irrigation process. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, especially um, when it comes to things like refined carbohydrates, grains, all that stuff, like the not only did we not like nearly as much as we eat today of all that stuff but from a nutritional perspective um typically grain recipes were cut with wood ash burnings of, of wood which were largely our ancestors main sources of trace minerals and okay. not only are you going to not find that anywhere today but we now have added things added to our wheat and things that we're eating that uh, what, what was it back in the early 90s? They started spraying everything with it. Oh. And now we can't, you know, we can't escape it I, unless we're growing it ourselves. And even then, it, the soil seems to be so depleted with all of the necessary. New, so you really have to have a, you know, chemistry degree to be able to treat the pH and the dirt for it to even grow to what you need it to be. And most of the chemists that do have the degrees are investing their knowledge into making it worse. A hundred percent, yes. Um, just to, the point I was trying to make, though, ultimately was that, um, I won't ground this into what I was trying to say, though, which is um, it is really difficult to get these minerals for not only these natural reasons that we're kind of going over, like not only the food quality being disparaged, but on the flip side as well, humans like us, our digestive systems don't do as good of a job at absorbing those nutrients either because of, you know, we could we probably talked about all of the reasons on this podcast before. Toxic environments, toxic foods, toxic lifestyles, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Seed so, oils, gluten, all of the wonderful stuff that just are going to chip away at that digestive system. Oh, yeah. And there's a, you know, there's a whole like metaphysical side to that too. It's like, you know, we live in a world right now that's under a serious amount of chronic stress all the time. And it's like, we're all probably in some low level of fight or flight, and that disrupts digestion. Million. Well, not just the chronic stress, but chronic inflammation due to that. So we're, our bodies are constantly having to fight some sort of something that it just, it, it's, um, it, you know, going back to you were talking about the ancestors. Yes, there was some sort of survival mode they were in, so they had they had that. But I feel like now it's it's completely different, and we're our bodies are having a hard time adapting. Like, I, it's not supposed to adapt to it. Well, there, I like to say, um, this is the way I like to put it. Um, we have brains that evolved for 200,000 years to build fires and live in caves. 
and we are trying to create large hedron colliders with them. <laughs> yeah, we we are not we're monkeys in a, in this broader artificialized concrete jungle that we've created, and we're all struggling to reconcile how to reason through it. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, we're all terrified. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so it's like you know, there's there's a really serious side to that, which is um what. And this brings me around to a conversation I was having last time too about our leaders, especially our health leaders, is like who is responsible for talking about these things and and taking action about them and speaking up and, and helping to make sure the populace is aware that like, hey, you know, the way, like, like literally the way that our infrastructure is oriented is not very good for practice, you know? No, and it's certainly... You know, people like you who are, you know, trying to get a message out there and others like you. And I hope people are waking up and paying attention because the I think, you know, respectively, those who we thought were an authority in that field are not not somebody that I am going to give the authority. To. I don't listen to that. And uh, I'm always bunking the conventional, med you know, medicine type things. And I've said before, I think as far as our crisis and our emergency medicine in this country, it's absolutely bar none. But remove that crisis and emergency and you're just talking maintenance or getting to the root cause or things like that. You know, I think that's why they call it practicing medicine. I've said that before. They're pr They're trying to figure it out, but they're also not, they're looking at your symptoms prescribing you something for your symptoms, which then bring on other symptoms. And they're not actually looking at, you know, what your diet is, what your lifestyle is, what are you putting in, you know, people seem to be so afraid of, you know, salt intake. That's a huge thing. They, they watch their salt intake, but they have no problem eating Cheetos or, you know, they, it, it's like, it's, it's, you know, unbalanced to me. I don't understand it. You know, I get, you know, told all the time I'm so unhealthy because I'm eating red meat. But they're downing Dr. Pepper, whatever it is they're doing. And it's like, I'm trying to eat the most bioavailable thing I can possibly do. How is that? You know, how am I shunned from eating the red meat when all of these, you know, toxic food, like literally toxic foods are out there? Well, you know, a wise man once said, man is most ignorant of what he's most assured. <laughs> There's something to be said about. Absolutely. Absolute scientific dogmatism, which permits, and that's, we're digressing a little bit. I do want to get back to migraines and nutrition. Yes, but oh, absolutely. Because this touches on, um, I know you commented on it yesterday. I've been behind the scenes putting a lot of uh, what I'm calling the big pharma playbook together. I love um, it. Largely like what we're seeing is, and I'm I'm going to I'm gonna kind of experiment with my thinking on this a little bit, just on this podcast, right? Sure, now. sure. Go for it. You no, know, because um, I am exploring in a way that's exactly like that, which is like, you know, from a rational perspective, doctors are wrong about a lot, manipulated about things. Science, like a clinical science, has a lot of conflict of interest, fault, withholding, like so on and so forth. You could say that there's like a honestly, here's here's a good one. Um, have you ever, ever heard of Biox before? Mm -mm. Uh so Vioxx was a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug that was marketed in the late 1990s and early 2000s as like an alternative to Advil and acetaminophen. Okay. And it meant to be like a kind that was way easier on your gut. And so got prescribed like crazy for like three years. Um, it turns out uh, in like 2004, they had a huge controversy because uh, some whistleblower released a ton of data that they had withheld 
basically connecting their drug to cardiovascular diseases. And it's crazy, even crazy. I actually have got some notes written down from the playbook I'm putting together. I'll bring this up really quick. And then we'll jump back to migraines and nutrition and stuff. But basically, all right. So basically, um, the Viox producers, I, I don't have the, I think it was, sure. I think it was Purdue, but I don't have it off the top of my head right now. But the, the Biox producers, basically, their methodology for selling this pill and approving it especially, um, they marketed it as this, like, gut-healthy Advil, basically. But behind the scenes, uh, they had someone named Dr. Scott Rubin, who they called a key opinion leader. Key opinion leader. <laughs> this is a really important point to understand, like, this larger pharmaceutical medical infrastructure. So... Dr. Scott Rubin spent 1995 to 1999 publishing dozens of quote-unquote peer-reviewed research papers on Vioxx. He was solely responsible for their clinical approval. So he was the only one. He just, all these other doctors were reviewing his, his stats and stuff. So scandal hits the fan. People start investigating. It turns out not only did this guy and the company withhold this information about the links between cardiovascular diseases, but he had lied about the drug's efficacy. It literally did not do what it was meant to do. So they made, I don't, let me see, actually, let me Google how much they made off this. That's incredible. I, first of all, I'm loving the, the title of the key opinion uh, doctor. That's a good title. But just, you know, not making, trying to make light of it. I, that's just incredible to me, the power they have in order to do that. Well, that's I can't I can't find how much they made off of it, but they made billions of dollars, like every sure. or probably hundreds of millions. Yeah. And they probably got like a ten to twenty million dollar fine that was a fraction of the profit they made and went on doing the same thing. And the 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 broader point is this. When we have an example like this, it begs a question, which is, is this an isolated incident or did they just get caught doing what they always do? Right. And that's a really, really interesting question because People that are into science and into mainstream medicine would tell you like, oh, this was just a transparency issue. Like the good thing this happened because it's not going to happen again or whatever. But that's the thing is when you dive into it, this happens all the time. <laughs> right. It, you could say like, and I'm about to make kind of a bold statement here, but, um, you know, outside of the, of accusing people of having malicious intentions, the large majority of people participating in peer reviewed science have spent a decade of their lives and hundreds of thousands of dollars to qualify themselves as quote-unquote professionals. They've invested everything that they have and everything that they are. And then typically they get put in these situations where a company like Purdue or like Procter & Gamble or like Pfizer has given them $10 million and saying, research this drug and like kind of, you know, like right. make sure to... <laughs> and not only that, but then... um there's this kind of bigger conversation around people in like a religious sense scientists want their science to be right of like course. they have to question it because it's it's like a church to them it's like a way for them to to outsource their own personal mystery and sure. along with that to the certainty of, of a leader and it's and you know it's we all do it to some capacity but science is no different so when you look into it it's like you have a lot of examples like Dr. Scott Rubin and Biox who are actively lying and actively deceiving people with like no excuse. But 
it gets interesting because almost across the board outside of that, even if people aren't meaning to lie, even if people aren't meaning to deceive, most people are more than willing to fudge some numbers or statistics to make it this one little point or even during the experimentation maybe you'll maybe you'll unconsciously slight your hand and affect the outcome in some way without being aware of it because in you in the core of your being you've invested your entire life into this project ultimately in some facet and so if it fails you've right right so they want to see some sort of return on their investment that there's an identity association. And so it's like we have science medicine in a large way, like in this context. And 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 I want to qualify this too by saying there is a lot of good science. You know, like yeah. we, we when we talk about carnivore, food, nutrition, we're talking about science. We're just talking about we're talking about empirically, you know, we're using our experience and we're being open minded to alternative ideas and we're not um, relying on some sort of dogmatic absolutism which is what you see in the scientific world. It's like, uh, you're not supposed to trust the science. That's an anti-scientific concept. It's a religious concept, if you ask me. Have faith in God, which I'm, I do have faith in God. But right, no, I understand what you're saying. It's, 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 it's a similar concept. And so it's like, it's someone coming along and, and exercising a false authority to manipulate the, the, the thinking of the populace. Right. So it's like, it, it's, a, it's a vicious beast. And it's something that's like, it speaks to like our own faults, our own self-deceptive faults as humans. Like, sure. opposed to like that doctors are bad or that big pharma is bad, even though there is a lot. But just to bring us all back around, because we kind of hit that down. No, and hey, it's messy. We get messy, and that's that's what the whole point of this. But yeah, to circle back to migraines, um, talk a little bit about just um, like I was saying, I notice. Um, well, I noticed two things. I will have sort of a Hashimoto's flare up and I'll seem to get that under control. But then the residual seems to be the migraine. I don't know if my body's purging out the inflammation or whatever it was, but that is, you know, one of those multi-dimension things you were talking about. But I had, can also trace it to cycle and I can also trace it to food. And then of course, stress. And I can sense it coming on. And I'm, I know most people who suffer can sense it like for me, I smell something first. I smell like a metallic-y type smell. And I'm just like, oh, I know exactly what's coming. <laughs> and it might be an hour or two before it actually sets in. But I had that smell first because of it. And it's always the same symptoms leading up to it. But it seems to be different cursors that are a jumping off point for it. So that's that's really interesting about the metallic smell, first of all, or the metallic taste. I wish I, I, wish I had some fun factor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing. It could be I'm just a weirdo, but that's but I've I've heard that before. And That'd be okay. So, yeah. So that's you know just I could jive down some guesses, but I I don't I I feel like I don't know that would be an interesting thing to learn about and come to some definitive answers. But the point that I was trying to make nutrition wise was what you're talking about with this Hashimoto's flare up and like affecting ultimately the migraines and everything else. Um, and this is a kind of a central point of holistic medicine is that none of these systems are isolated from each right. other. And that's the, they all affect each other all the time. In fact, they're, they're supposed to. Sure. It's our, they all have to to work properly. And so it's like, and again, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I just, it's, it's interesting that we don't really think about it that way. We're not taught to think about it that way. Um, if you have a thyroid issue, you know, thyroid hormone, it largely dictates a lot of our metabolism. Our thyroid hormone is responsible for methylating nutrients in the body. 
and is largely responsible for the methylation response in the body. But you get really technical about, but that's basically like what turns, um, I think like raw oil and refined gasoline, methylation is, is right. into refined nutrients. And so your thyroid is largely what dictates that. Um, you see this sometimes with people who have Hashimoto's. I didn't have Hashimoto's, but I had low thyroid, so I kind of went through the same thing. Like when you jumpstart that metabolism again, you can have all sorts of effects. Like you can have an inflammatory. Positive or negative. So that's what I'm getting into is like, um, you can have a lot of negative effects, which is something people are surprised about and not like, like bad, like you shouldn't do it, but like short term, like body returning to balance negative. Sure. Sure. That's, and it feels like a purge almost. And it's like what it's like getting out whatever it it was having an, uh, an effect to, but it, it hurts. (laughs) Yeah, this is an interesting point where we could talk about how inflammation really is a, a necessary process. And when we do jumpstart our metabolism largely, we're jumpstarting our, our production of inflammatory cytokines as well. And so it's like, this is, we see this all the time with people on, with my new patient and my new clients almost across the board. I have to preface the program by being like, it only hurts at first because while almost everyone gets relief for their immediate symptoms, Almost everyone had some negative side effects that come along too. Sure. It's like, um, it's just the interesting thing about the body is you're never really going to figure out what's really going on if you don't allow yourself to kind of feel into. You gotta feel the pain. Yeah. But I mean, to that point too, again, it's the same thing as like, I could go on a million different guesses. Like I could guess about an iodine deficiency. I could guess about goitrogens affecting the production of thyroid hormone which as a carnivore i'm sure you know all about (laughs) so like uh there's a million different possibilities that could be affecting this sort of thing and that's where again grounding this conversation to bioindividuality it ultimately is like the individual's responsibility to pay attention like you are doing to oh i ate this food and i got a migraine oh i've got this metallic taste in my mouth i'm gonna like to like go lay down for a little bit and do some breathing exercises or whatever works for you. Right. So, um, I have yet to be able to prevent a migraine with breathing, although I, I do breathing work, breath work, you know, religiously, um, but it never, it has not, it is yet to prevent it from happening, seems like. So I'm either not doing it long enough, which I try to hit my eight minutes, but it doesn't seem to, because again, I have those different multi-dimension things going on, but um, I I know I don't feel as well as I do when I do the breath work. So there's that. Honestly, I just kind of like said breathing, like first thing that came to mind. I didn't even, I wouldn't even have suggested that. That's really cool. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a staple for me. It's in it, it, and you know, aside from just, um, wanting to have the oxygen flowing and things like that, it just kind of quiets my mind gets me in a better state that kind of thing but um a, that's sort of side from the migraines breathing like a uh, breath work literally does slow your nervous system down so in a, in a sense that would directly affect this uh get back to my notes because i can't remember the name and i'm and i want to remember it so i'm gonna make a point to say this word in fact, the messy know. nerve yeah the messy nerve the uh where is it at where'd you go nerve there we go the trigeminal I'm going to remember that by the end of the day. So I'm gonna okay. <laughs> the trigeminal nerve. So, yeah, when we do breath work, like, I, I do a lot of, like, square breathing. It's like four and hold for four, four out, hold for four. Sure. A four, seven, eight breathing, too. 
just like in for four old for seven out right and like uh that's kind of my intention all the time is like i have some pretty severe nervous system like overstimulation like i i kind of let myself go sometimes and it's really necessary to just kind of let it all relax bring it back in yeah yeah, for sure. For sure. So um, are you up for taking a question? I have this uh, no, question. It's pertaining to migraines. So Jen0687 writes that she recently started adding more greens, spinach, broccoli, those kinds of things to her diet, um, but it increased her migraines exponentially. Do you think there's a correlation between greens I, and migraines? I certainly think that there could be. When we're talking about things like spinach and raw leafy greens, the big concern is oxalates, typically. Okay. And then and there are a variety of other like anti-nutritional properties that can come along depending on the plant you're talking about. Um, and I like to, I told you last time, I actually am very pro-plant. I, I don't think you, anyone should be eating a plant-based diet whatsoever. <laughs> I also think that the carnivore diet can be an excellent elimination diet. Um, I, I would agree. I, I work with some clients with during doing carnivore. I typically don't keep them on carnivore for more than six months, though. Agreed. But that aside, I, I think it's a really valuable high protein, high fat diet, and super bioavailable nutrition as well. Um, but just to qualify the points that I'm about to make, because plants really can hurt you, and some people like it's it's bizarre. You know, we're talking about like kind of the meta, the mainstream medical infrastructure. Um, let me dive into this a little bit actually, because um. I think there is a really interesting psychology behind this thinking. I think that the kind of the dynamism between carnivore and vegan has a lot more to do with people's like psychology and cultural psychology than it does. Hundred percent. I'm a. I'm. I don't want to say I'm a victim, but I have done both, and not being successful on the vegan in the way that it destroyed me more so than I feel like the actual heart attack did, and then switching to carnivore, and then now transitioning into animal based. I mean, it's it's night and day, you know, and don't even get me started on the bugs and grasshoppers and things that I, like, I know that's supposed to be protein, but I, I just, I'm, I can't even go there. <laughs> no, I, um, so plants, the psychology I'm talking about, I, I think that sometime in the 1900s, I'm no expert on this, um, but sometime in the 1900s, uh, Senator George McGovern along with a variety of uh, Seventh-day Adventist advisors, uh, were really influential on our nutritional guidelines uh, in a profound way. When you dive into that, um, Seventh-day Adventism as a religion has actually had a lot of influence on dietary recommendations. Actually, Loma Linda University, the, it's a Seventh-day Adventist university, uh, is one of the blue zones, <laughs> funny enough. Um, but they... Uh, are actually like they're forthcoming about it. It's not a conspiracy theory, really. Sure. Like they, they've written papers like diving into the their own religious influence on diet, and they think it's a good thing because they all think that we shouldn't eat meat and we should only eat plants because God said so or whatever. And so like, uh, but that's not true. And if anybody's familiar with the Bible, that's not true at all. Well, that's the thing. It's a it's a really bad interpretation by a nine year old who had a really severe head injury when she made the interpretation. Ellen G. White. But that aside, Seventh-day <laughs> okay. uh, Adventism emerged in um, at the same time as the temperance movement in America, which was like a, a bunch of – that's what led to prohibition ultimately. Sure. 
a bunch of like fed up wives who were like dealing with abuse from their husbands. They put together this like countrywide, it's actually a crazy story. They put together like a countrywide coalition called the Temperance Movement that actively encouraged people to be sober and to not drink. And it got a lot of, of momentum actually. It became extremely popular for a few decades. Uh, yeah, obviously, prohibition happened. <laughs> <laughs> it turned into policy, but it, it really interesting took off like that. And it's because like in, in America and the, you know, early mid 1800s i i love history so i feel qualified oh me too i'm a history nerd i uh i uh uh was an extremely violent place in almost all areas across the frontier colonialism you know the civil war happened before the civil war we had a variety of native american wars they were all fighting each other at the same time too use my french but a clusterfuck right right and and so uh, i think a lot of people kind of um, observed the human capacity to kill, right? And that's a really primal thing. Uh, I think a lot of people really associated that human capacity to kill with like brute force and irrational violence and kind of like a lot of what you see in like altruistic minded people. And so um, I think that developed in this weird way over time where People associated that with killing animals and eating meat. As you see, veganism and vegetarianism, the Seventh-day Adventist religion, arise in tandem with temperance and with this kind of collective intention to be more peaceful and be more mindful about what we put in our bodies and so on and so forth. And so, like, I, I think there was kind of this unconscious association that people made between, like, people who kill are bad Mm-hmm. And animals are living, and so people who kill animals are bad. Gotcha. And like obviously, it's you know it's not like a forthcoming like people are sure. actively working with that belief system. But I think kind of deep in people's cores that are vegans and are plant based and oriented like that, that's they think. And if you talk to vegans, like I dated a vegan in high school. Actually, <laughs> for a little bit, uh, just an interesting little story. Um, but when you talk to vegans and, and kind of get involved in that community, like I, I really was involved in that community back then. I wasn't mm-hmm. vegan. Um, they are very, um, I mean, I'm going to speak kind of frankly here. You, you find a lot of like young women who don't respect their dads very much and kind of things like that. People who, you find individuals who kind of abhor power, abhor like the, the assertion to power and really idolize idealize um again more altruistic intentions they like idealize more communal ways of being maybe there's some validity to that too personally i i like power and competition and eating sure sure i want my cup of tea but i think that psychology really influenced a lot of people for a long time and it and it speaks to this whole medical infrastructure of science that i'm trying to get to is i think that around the 50s 60s and 70s like universities like loma linda really unconsciously believed i think that they were doing really good work in science that validated their plant-based opinions and and i don't think it was like this conscious thing like obviously consciously they thought that it was a a religious association like sure and a better way yeah but i think unconsciously there's something really powerful about like you know the average human doesn't want to admit that he has to kill something to be alive and it's like there's something strange about admitting that for most people that makes makes one feel like a killer in a way that's not like if when you're 16 years old and you get shown like a video of some 
animal farm cow getting started. Sure. Right. But I think that's part of the issue. We have sort of removed ourselves from the process, right? And instead of being, you know, grateful and looking at it as a blessing and nourishment for our bodies, all of that's removed when you go to the big box store to buy your groceries and you're, you're, there's no connection anymore, right? There's no connection of nourishment and, you know, thankfulness that we are able to nourish our bodies with it. And it's so it's completely removed. And I just think, um, you know, not that all of us can afford to live on the, you know, hundreds of acres of ranches and, and have our own food process right there, but we're missing that link. We're missing that, you know, connection. And for most of human history, that is kind of how we live. It's 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 strange. We've only gotten to a place where that's not collectively possible because of this alienation from the truth. Sure, sure. We, but but that's exactly my point. Is that that this is the issue? This is the issue. Is that these kind of psychological belief systems are governing people unconsciously. People who are who haven't really been involved in the process of food to table. Who don't haven't really ever thought about it. Critically. Where it comes from. Right, right. Because one is correct. Like if you're, if you are a vegan, you know, there's a really famous example of like if you're a vegan and you eat avocados and you live in California, they fly in millions of bees from China every year to grow the avocados, and they all die. Right, that is fine. If you grow a freaking banana tree farm in Chile, you have to kill a bunch of wombats, kill a bunch of beavers, right? All the pests that are coming by trying to eat everything. So it's like. The industrialization, no, right? No way to live in the world without having an a, a murderous impact. In sure, it's a well, and I, but I'm not even sure that most vegans know that to be the case. They think that they're doing much better because it's something that's being grown from the ground and that's what they're eating. But me specifically, okay. you know, it was not a religious choice or a. It was thrust upon me after my heart attack and sold to me as this package of you will do so much better for your body if you live this way as I'm trying to wrap my head around everything that's happened and like maybe start to buy into it the copious amounts of soy alone that you had and the you know packages of looking at a uh, you know a, a plant-based burger with their 90 plus ingredients into a plant-based burger versus just the burger itself and the way i was feeling and so anemic they're talking blood transfusion I, I, there's just no for me personally there was just no way i knew i could survive on i wasn't going to survive on it at all well, that's that's i think what i'm speaking to is like you didn't fall for that myth right and that's what i'm i'm talking about i think is like um no, but I and, did fall for the authorities telling me this would be the best for me because I, at the time, I trusted what they were telling me. But I would say you didn't fall for the myth, though, because you ultimately did think about it for yourself and come to your own conclusions. And it wasn't this like unconscious obsession with like true. Yeah. And, so, and that's more what I'm getting to is like not necessarily like why someone like you might have tried eating vegan, but why it was presented to someone like you in such a context. Because that's bizarre. It's bizarre that someone should have a heart attack and be told. You should never eat meat again and only eat plants and there's nothing else you can do. That's, That's exactly what I was told. Like that is insane. Like we let's you know, let's like hover on that for a sec. That is absolutely insane. That's like we insane. talk about dogmatism, like people in the mainstream world like to make fun of holistic alternative practitioners because they say that like we don't think things through or like we will just preach some dogma or paint some boogeyman, right? What is that? 
what what exactly are doctors doing when they're telling you like meat is bad, take our drugs, and that's it? That's a pseudoscience. That is, there's no better word to drive that approach to health and medicine. It's a pseudoscience. Well, I, and it, again, I, I, um, it, like I said, it took well a minute. I'm a slow learner, but I finally caught on to it. But it was just, it didn't make sense. And then as they're pushing this statin on me, when my heart attack, I did not have high cholesterol. I did not have high blood pressure. But their whole sentence was, well, the statin will prevent the next heart attack. And my heart attack was directly related to high blood sugar. They didn't even touch on that. In fact, the hospital endocrinologist that came in before I went to go get the second stint while I was in the hospital, he didn't even know what to put my pump settings at to enforce the, you know, slower drip of the insulin for me to go in. And I mean, it was it was mind blowing. It was mind. And he was the endocrinologist of the hospital. Mind blowing. And I just I knew then maybe not so much as I know now, but something in my brain just saying, I can't trust these people. I can't put my life in their hands. Again, emergency medicine. And yes, they did save my life by getting me to the cath lab. But now I know I have to take control and be accountable. I mean, just blows my mind. And the question of like, why did no one tell you that before you ended up in the hospital? The the thing that I had been told since 15 after being diagnosed with type 1 was watch your kidneys, watch your kidneys, watch your kidneys. So that would had been my focus for years. Make sure my kidneys are fine. Nobody else said anything about my heart. I'm that you're also told every time you had a blood sugar drop that you carbs. And then for night too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then feeling what I call the hangover effects the next day, because now I've had these peaks and valleys of blood sugar and I literally would feel like a hangover, just completely knocked on my ass of just this is not like I'm recovering. It was terrible. I bet when you pushed a carnivore, it's probably one of the best you've ever felt in your life. One hundred percent. And and I that's people not, can't they can't understand it. That's not surprising at all. And so it's like that's what I'm getting to is it's like because there's a side to that too. There is a side to like again, and that's what I was saying. I don't like to keep carnivore people on carnivore for like a prolonged period of time. And there's a side to that. Like there are some people that have, for instance, a, a, a lean mass, hyper-responsive genetic mutation, and they can hyper-respond to saturated fats. There is like a small subsection that like does have to be concerned like that. And so it's like, you could bring this whole thing back into the conversation of carnivore, but here's the difference between vegan and carnivore. There's not a doctor on the planet besides Paul Saladino who's going to tell you the carnivore, and he's not allowed to have a practice. I know, crazy thing. That's the objective difference here is like people that eat carnivore that are like exploring carnivore, they're not, a lot of them do participate in dogmatism in some way or another. Also, Dino actually, if you listen to what he talks about, does not participate in dogmatism. He's very upfront about like, this is a way to do it. This isn't the way. Like he literally will say that verbatim. I love him. I absolutely love him. Yeah, no, he's the man. And so it's like, if you get into it, it's like, there is no central authority for carnivore. There is no essential authority for nutrition. There is not. And and like that's a good thing, I would say. Most sure. that are participating in those cultures and those worlds have individualized those messages. They have done it in a way that's like working for them. They are experimenting and are open-minded because they don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. There isn't an option to well, I mean, people could say like Paul Saladino knows everything, I worship him. But even so, if they actually listen to what he's talking about, he's probably gonna lead you to a deeper truth which is he doesn't know everything sure <laughs> sure you shouldn't listen to him like that and he'd probably be the first one to admit it and so it's like 
you don't have this option to point at some clinical study that says meat cures cancer and say, right, oh, this is the truth, you know, like or, like that. And so it's like, oh, it does speak more to what I was talking about, the scientific infrastructure, kind of the religious aspect about it, which is like, you know, you do in the same way that like Paul Saladino had this idea of carnivorism, which it wasn't his idea, but you know, right. to expand on that. No, yeah, yeah you know, exactly. Yeah, ideas, and this largely emerged from the mind. Well, science is no different, right? Like veganism, statin drugs, pharmaceutical treatment in general. These are all ideas that some person had at some point in history. It's not like an objective, natural thing that we observed or discovered. Someone had these ideas. Correct. And- but I feel like, especially specifically talking with the statin, they, like you were talking about, you know, skewing the statistics and things for them to push this medicine. They're also keep moving the goalpost for what is considered high cholesterol to begin with. You know, if you look back even just five years ago, it was a different number than it is today. Now they want everybody like 100 and under and people are missing the message. We have all these new cases now of dementia and Alzheimer's because specifically they have zero cholesterol in their body and the cholesterol is what protects them from that. And I sound crazy when I say nobody wants to believe me when I say that. I talked about this on the last show, like this point that I'm making, like all of this stuff is ultimately just someone's idea and then I get qualified. It's like this this low fat thing, this statin crap, cholesterol is bad. This was a brainchild. This whole idea was a brainchild of someone named Ansel Keys. I talked about him on the last show. He was he was associated with Procter and Gamble and the American Medical Association. He facilitated a lot of backdoor exchanges of funds between the two programs or between the two agencies. And he was the doctor who did the science called the seven country study that has created our idea that saturated fat is bad. And it was literally all just emerged from his mind. And the people that challenged him were cut off and censored. And the people that validated him were rewarded. And it's like, it's the same. It's kind of like this religious hierarchy again. It's like, if you, show faith in our church we will reward you sure. so on and so forth and so it's like all this stuff it's like I'm, i want to all the big pharma playbook i'm planning to do like a really big section on stack i can't wait i cannot wait you're gonna be probably shocked like even with everything you know about how deep it goes <laughs> but Oh, I'm sure. I can only imagine. I, I, I'm barely even scratching the surface. And this is just personal experience. I can't even imagine. And I think what is terrible and what troubles me so much is the amount of people it's actually hurting and they keep on pushing it. Well, that's and that's what I think the ultimate point I'm trying to make, too, is like um, when you are so invested with your identity and every being of who you are in such a powerful mint meaning like you are the myth of medicine is there sure i need your technology to save those who've been at the mercy of nature forever that's a heroic, that's a heroic myth it's like, like uh i think i don't know there is a lot to be said about people that just don't want to accept that that's not who they are like doctors don't want to accept that they're not this superhero that is saving everybody they would rather say Someone like you or me is coming on there saying like statins are bad, are liars and quacks and crazy people because it's like it's easier to believe that and to believe that what you are doing is wrong. That you might have even been lied to about it, right? So I don't know. All things bizarre. I, I do think a lot of people are waking up. Those like what you're saying is like a lot of people are suffering in like um 
you know, like, like I am in a position to help people now. And that's kind of like what I do. I'm lucky to be able to do that. But like, I'm a young person and like, I don't have like, the only reason that I'm in this position is because, and this is going to be, this is going to sound kind of like self-aggrandizing. So sorry, but like my life was so difficult, like so profoundly difficult. And so it was like, um, I learned all of these things and kind of got to this place out of necessity. Sure. And like, I also don't really know what I'm talking about in a lot of ways too, I want to say. <laughs> like, I, uh, I don't think that's true. I'm some, I'm some kid that got really sick and had to do something with it. So like we see all these people that are like getting really sick and are kind of being forced to do something about it. Like it's been bizarre the last few years how many people have switched over to this side of the playing field. Thinking yeah. about a moralistic way because they simply don't have enough choice. Like what you're talking about with your experience, veganism and everything else is like your body is at a point, and not like your body, but the general like when someone's in this place, it's like your body is at a point where you know it's trying to self-destruct. You can feel it all the yeah. time. You see anxiety broke your thing. Is you, you're like at death's door in a certain way. And so it's like yeah. you have to start asking questions like, why is, like, why do I feel this way? And then you get, you might learn a little bit about nutrition and food. And then you have to ask yourself, like, well, why is the food supply so messed up? And then you might laugh out, like, it's those rabbit holes I always talk about. <laughs> one rabbit hole leads to the next rabbit hole but again i think you know to your point of saying people are coming over to this side i really hope so for their sake i really do because in the general hospital setting and and the people that were in this group with me everybody bought it hook line and sinker i mean 100 percent. they went in home and threw all of their old food out they went and they changed every time how they were shopping what they were buying i mean it was so profound i mean they had us watching that netflix show game changer and showing us how the doctor had pulled the blood from the one athlete and the one you know you know what i'm talking about is is you're upset about it and but everybody's wide-eyed and watching that going well yeah i want clear blood then if i have to have clear blood then i can't eat the meat and just looking back on my experience and going what a dumbass I was like, but I had nothing to compare it to. Here I was, like you yeah. said, on death's door. You were lying. You were a victim. And that's something I want to touch on here a little bit. It's like, it's not just for their sake. Like, I, you know, I have a six-month-old son. It's for his sake. Right. Like, I, everyone that I know, probably like everyone you know now, is sick. Yeah. It's not like a rare thing. We're all sick. On a political level, we're all, we all hate each other and are fighting for in a religious, none of us have any belief in, in anything. In anything. Nihilists, on, on, on a nutritional biochemical level, we're all under attack. Like, there is, we are living in, like, I mean, like the age of the Antichrist, quite, quite frankly. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, I, I think um, for the sake of the future of the world, it's like so that the next generation doesn't grow up being sheep in a human farming cycle so that they're not mentally debilitated and can't think through these things and, and, and work for themselves so that there isn't the global infrastructure that extrapolates our own individual freedoms and prohibits us from doing the things that make life worth living. Like, this is something we could be angry about. Exactly. And upset and sad, like, which that we all should feel that way. And that's super valid too. But like, I'm getting to a place like, I feel mad. Yeah, more people should because people aren't stupid. Most people are pretty smart. Every almost everyone I've ever met and talked to is just as smart as I am. But they're all being lied to, and they're accepting the lies. I did. 
I accepted it. Well, they put their faith into these people forever. And, and so why wouldn't they? There, there isn't a better, there isn't an alternative that's been presented to us. And frankly, like, like I'm mad about it. Yeah, I think we're mad about it. That's why we're seeing this awakening. Is like, you know, like I, I almost want to stay. Like, screw you, big pharma. Like, screw you. well, but and I think though, too, in order to make change, we have to get mad. We have to get mad. And you know, I'll tell you, being called and told that you know you're two points away from needing a blood transfusion, and they were the ones that told me to eat how I was eating. I, I was mad. <laughs> I was mad. As you should be. As you should have been, and look at and look at the amazing changes that it's elicited. Yeah, you know? yeah. And yeah, I'm blessed to be able to say the same thing. Yeah. So I um. There and while we don't want people to have to go through trials and tribulations, if it spurs change, if it spurs them getting their attention and trying to find an alternative to do something about it, then we we have to. We absolutely have to. So that's I guess that's been my like theme of reckoning lately. I love it. I love it. So, so just circling back really quick, then you would think, um, and, and not that you can tell the the person with the question, but it seems like if she were to go back and eliminate, um, yeah, here would be my suggestion just to, we went way off topic. No, but it's messy. I love it. Like, that's what we do here. I would say that there is an, they are having an obvious reaction to these leafy greens. Um, so whenever I deal with food sensitivities, uh, I recommend people to do an elimination diet. I recommend people repeat this process throughout over time too. So the idea with something like plant anti-nutrients, um, anti-nutrients kind of speak for themselves. Uh, there are certain inflammatory parts of plants and so on and so forth. There's pl inflammatory parts of every food really. Um, but the real issue uh, with plant foods so that they exacerbate the nutritional deficiencies that are already there. Okay. Um, so like oxalates, for instance, uh, bind with calcium in the body. It's actually the number one, if I remember correctly, to the number one or number two cause of kidney stones are calcium oxalate kidney stone. Basically, this causes like a calcium deficiency. And so when it comes to like the neck and tension of the neck and the nerves, like that obviously translates calcium is responsible for contracting the muscles. It's responsible for bone density. You go down the list here when it comes to structural integrity and calcium. And that aside, magnesium is something we already mentioned. Uh, calcium and magnesium work in tandem with each other. They're, they're uh, cofactors to each other. And so becoming deficient in calcium, your calcium levels being affected immediately affect your magnesium levels, which does have an immediate impact on your state of nervous relaxation and this uh oh god i'm gonna look at it again this trigeminal is that what it is i think you're right oh trigeminal yeah there we go yeah see you said you'd learn it by the end of the day you did how you do it people let's say yeah that's the idea would be like again not that this is what is happening but from a nutritional perspective here's one dimension that could be contributing to this so i would say um cut out plant foods but do it in a way that's intentional so obviously i would do it immediately um but i would plan to do it for a span of eight to 12 weeks oh wow that's I a good amount of time i would not cheat at all a 100 percent strict elimination diet at the end of that eight to 12 week process i would experiment with with raw leafy greens i would add them to the diet but i would 
you make sure to cook them to Okay. That's a really big point about all um, like uh one of the most popular anti-nutrients in plant foods are uh, phytates. Mm-hmm. Uh, form phytic acid when they bond with zinc. Um but phytates are what makes vegetables crunchy. Or like rice, for instance, what makes rice crunchy. So if you cook your vegetables soft, you technically cook out all the phytates. And the idea yeah. is you have to drain the water and most of the anti-nutritional properties are gone. So I like to say with people who are having these reactions to vegetables, take some time off of them, and then when you reintroduce them, just cook them thoroughly, like cook them soft. So that's interesting. I've heard that if you cook them, though, you're also cooking out all of the nutrients that's beneficial in that. That's true. That's the trade-off. That's the catch. So then it kind of is, to me, it's like, what's the point? There is an interesting point there. Well, there you're not getting away all of the nutrients. It's okay. kind of you're getting away a lot of them. You're definitely you're degenerating the nutritional quality. But um, a lot of the nutrients are preserved in the physical structure of the vegetable. And so you still are getting some vegetables. And it's also like a low-calorie form of carbs, too. But like, compared to a grass-fed hamburger patty. Yeah. I don't know. They go with the grass-fed hamburger <laughs> patty for your bioavailable nutrients. Well, that's where we could get into, like, you don't always eat everything for those kinds of nutrients. So, like... Plant, plant foods, the big nutrient benefit would be fiber. And we have to get into, like, you could get into a debate about fiber, and it's not technically essential for anything in the body, but it is technically essential for gut health and, like, the stability of the gut microbiome. So there is some, there are a, a lot of nuance that you could get into here. But okay. you make a real, that is a really good point what you're making, because the reason people are obsessed with plant foods and are obsessed with vegetables are because they think that they have this, like, magical nutrient quality that they don't really have they don't and then when you do cook them like that to get rid of the bad stuff you get rid of a lot of the good stuff the good stuff yeah and (laughs) you know vegetables like the way i like to conceive vegetables is like um i like to eat a lot of purple vegetables in my diet just because they have good vitamin nutrients from the brand Uh, i also eat something called himalayan tartary buckwheat bread um basically like uh it's a real, it's a type of buckwheat that's grown in the Himalayas, uh, like really high elevation and under a lot of stress. Um, in plants, the, the nutrients in plants are called phytonutrients, is like what we typically say the good stuff are. A typical vegetable has like um, 10 to 20 phyto, phytonutrients in its phytonutrient content, but Himalayan tartary buckwheat has like 200 plus. Oh, wow. It's like the most nutrient dense vegetable plant food kind of in the world. And, and you can get that here? I just get it on on Amazon. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, it's it's cheap though. It's like twenty bucks a bag, and okay. you do different rounds with it. But it's like um, the way it's grown is under such high stress that it does have a much lower anti-nutritional content too, and so you get a lot more bang for your buck. Gotcha. Um, it's nothing like uh, my the point I'm ultimately trying to make though is like um, I don't really vegetables for the nutrients if that makes sense. Like yeah, I'm into like kind of like functional. Like uh, not bodybuilding, but like working out and stuff like that. Sure. Or, like, I like to use it for. I like to use vegetables to get my macros in. And, sure. And I'm getting a certain amount of fiber and that sort of thing. Uh, I'm not very concerned about phytonutrition because right, you're not you're not worrying about the vitamin A and things like that because you're getting that elsewhere. This yeah. yeah. And to that point, meat would be a if you want to get your micronutrients from food and you have the options between plant plants and meat meat ten times. There's there's no way that 
And people absolutely look at me crazy when I say that. They think I've just lost my mind. They don't understand why I'm not having a giant, big, green, leafy salad. And I just, first of all, I, it totally tears up my stomach. But I just, I, I show them the list. Like, you, there's a side-by-side. -side. In fact, I think it's even Paul Saladino's, one of his cookbooks I have. There's a side-by-side -side comparison of, like, the nutrients that you get, like, out of kale versus the actual grass-fed. And it's like, why is anybody eating, why are they eating kale? That doesn't make any sense. That's the whole, it's the myth, right? It's like, right. it doesn't, it equals mythology. <laughs> right, right. It's It's absolutely crazy. So, um, this has been an awesome conversation. Absolutely. Before you go really quick, tell us about the ebook um, that yeah, you recently so, came out with. So I just released my Heal Yourself Protocol. Basically, it's all, it's a huge compilation of dietary recommendations, biohacking methods, supplement recommendations. So it's kind of just jam-packed with like a lot of the strategies and methods that I use in my health coaching program. Uh, the purpose is kind of just to give people a Kind of like a catalog or a, an almanac, if sure. you will. Uh, a resource. Exactly. Of just a bunch of different methods that they can experiment with in their own lives, um, as well as kind of like what everything is used for, how I use them in my life, like so on and so forth. Um, so I have like my general bad foods list that I suggest people to eat. I have a, an elimination diet protocol, a list of good foods I suggest for people to add, like bone broth, organ meats, for example. I have a home cooking guide in there with a few different easy. Wow. Okay, I'm going to have to go check that out. So how how can a we get lot of that? stuff? Uh, basically, just go to my website. It's the very first thing you'll see on there, just haywoodheels.com. Uh, you can also find the link to my website on my Instagram account, which is just at haywoodheels. Um, and yeah, you can just download it. Just click add to cart, check out, and, and download it completely for free. That's amazing. And also, so if uh, others have questions to email you directly or to get in touch with you directly, just go to your Instagram. Yeah. So just you can Instagram DM me or you can email me at heywoodheels at gmail.com. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah. So the Heal Yourself Protocol, it's kind of a condensed version of the health coaching program. So uh, one thing I do want to say to people is uh, I'm open to answer any questions at any time because I don't want to just kind of strand people with these suggestions with no real way to ask about them so feel free to reach out uh i get to all my messages i'm always happy to have a conversation so if anyone has any questions or wants to learn a little bit more i'm more than happy that's awesome i appreciate your time so much i'm sorry we went over um oh. i just completely enjoy your knowledge and everything <laughs> <laughs> no you just have so much to offer so i just we could like i said go on and on we'll have to have you back um, there was definitely some things we didn't get to, so we'll have to have an excuse to bring you back again. Like I said, our uh, resident expert health coach, and I totally appreciate everything that you've offered, and it's been just an awesome pleasure. Thank you so much. No excuse needed. This the pleasure is all mine. Thank you again. All right. Thanks. Everybody. Thank you for listening to Everything's Messy podcast. Please like, subscribe, and rate our podcast on Apple or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to reach out, please email me at everythingsmessy at gmail.com. Also, if you want to give a follow on social media, I'm at Everything's Messy on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and X. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, I have a link under my Instagram. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Any questions or comments, I'd also love to hear any feedback. Any kind of mess you want to bring, I want to hear. And now for the legal mumbo jumbo. 
You're listening to Everything's Messy podcast. We appreciate your interest in health and wellness. However, it's important to note that the content provided in this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. The information shared here is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnose, or treatment. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this podcast. If you have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Reliance on any information provided by Everything's Messy podcast or its guests is solely at your own risk. This podcast may discuss general health topics, lifestyle choices, and wellness trends, but these discussions should not be interpreted as individualized medical recommendations. Every individualized health needs are unique, and what works for one person may not be suitable for another. We encourage you to consult with a healthcare professional before making any significant changes to your diet, exercise routine, or health practices. Everything's Messy podcast and its hosts are not responsible for any actions taken based on the information provided during the podcast. Remember, your health is a personal matter, and professional medical advice is essential for making informed decisions about your life well-being. Thank you for understanding, and we hope you enjoy Everything's Messy podcast.